How's that? All right. It was dark. It was very dark. It was dark. I had a five-year-old on my shoulders, and uh, there were literally thousands of people surrounding us. We, we were, uh, were standing there in great anticipation. And then it began to all unfold right in front of us. There were fireworks, and there was a light show. And you see, we were, we were at Disney World. My daughter was on my shoulders, and, and, and we were watching as the magic kingdom lit up in front of us. Uh, it, was, it was like nothing I've ever quite been a part of, and, and there I am with my daughter and our family, and, and we're all just like, I mean, it is really this incredible event, and and. and and if I didn't know better, I would tell you, this is the place where dreams come true. <laughs> I mean, there was a sense of us that night when we're watching all of this unfold and, and, and the five-year-old is just ecstatic and we're ecstatic and everything's just oh, wonderful and the, the magic kingdom and the castle and everything. Uh, there was a sense that we actually began to believe that this is the place, like it's magic. And someone had sprinkled pixie dust all over us, and it was wonderful. Sometimes the Christian life is like that, isn't it? For those of you who have been followers of Christ, you recognize this. Uh, maybe you're close to becoming a follower of Christ, and there's a level of excitement in you, and, and there's something about it and, it, and it looks a lot like Disney World. And you believe, and you have this incredible trust. And you can't wait to take on the world, and it is this absolutely wonderful thing. And then something happens. It's, it's maybe that the, the journey gets long, and we feel frustrated uh, because we feel like there's a lack of guidance. Some of you may recognize the show, The Amazing Race. It's the show on television where uh, couples oftentimes uh, get together in a car and go to various places in the world and, and they're racing against other teams and, and, and they have to navigate to the next point uh, before the, the people that they're racing against, right? Uh, Joe Lennon have and I have decided a long time ago that no matter how cool that show looks, that it would be better for our marriage if we didn't do it. And here's why. Here's why. If Jolyn and I are in a car together, and neither of us really know where we're going, guidance and the lack thereof becomes a frustration. I don't know. I, I wonder, has that ever happened for you as a follower of Jesus? 
You've had this glorious experience. You've come out of the waters of baptism and, and you've looked at people and maybe you've even said something like, I just, I feel so clean. And maybe you just feel like you could take on the world, like the journey is just all laid out before you. And then the, the days turn into weeks and the weeks turn into months and the months turn into years and the frustration begins to grow. Where's the guidance? You're not alone. In fact, uh, you're not alone in the whole course of spiritual history. The people uh, that the writer of Hebrews is writing to are coming into a similar kind of situation. You see, they're frustrated by what seems to be a lack of guidance. I don't know exactly uh, what it was, but uh, they seem to want to go a different direction other than the one that they were originally on, and, and their faith, the belief, has begun to wane. They're frustrated. Maybe your journey has hit a pothole Maybe as you have desired strength on this life journey, um, you have just simply come to a place where you feel like curling up in a ball or hiding under a rock. Maybe something has happened. Life gets hard. Maybe it's the marriage and, and, and it was going really well and then there was this, there was this speed bump. And something dramatic happened, and, and now it's, 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 it's a struggle every day just to walk into the house. Uh, maybe it's a circumstance. Maybe someone really close to you uh, who was the person uh, that really got you going in this, this spiritual journey in the first place, that, that person that was kind of the spiritual mentor. Maybe they passed away, and, and you've yet to replace that person, and, and it's just another pothole, and, and it feels like you've just been derailed, and there's a flat tire on the side of the road. Maybe it was a, a death. Maybe it was something that a friend said, and you just can't quite shake it. You can't get over it. But whatever it is, your, your journey has been frustrated. The question is, what happens when we reach the age of not believing? What happens when we're on that journey with Christ and we feel frustrated now, and the, and the belief that we once had is on the side of the road. I think Hebrews begins to answer that question. So for the next several weeks, I hope that you're going to come in and I hope that you have this expectation of looking at Hebrews and saying, you know what, I, I need some more strength for this journey that I'm on. Because I'm a little frustrated, and God, I need some guidance from you. We're going to be in Hebrews 1 today. Hebrews chapter 1, strength for the journey. Their situation not much different than our own. And it's almost as if the text this morning and, and really throughout Hebrews is asking the question, or really answering the question, well, what is it going to take for you to believe again? For you to be that little kid at Disney World looking and believing and saying this can really happen. Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, 
and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, the sustainer of all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, and he became so much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. What do we do when we begin to be frustrated in this journey? What is it going to take for you to believe? In all of this, uh, Hebrews comes out and punches us in the mouth right away uh, with the kind of thing that God does. You see, God is constantly trying to make himself known to us. In the past, God spoke to us. He spoke to us through the prophets. Now, let's think about this. Let's think for a moment of all of the ways that God has made himself known throughout history. Can we do that? I mean, let's begin all the way, day one, right? Adam and Eve are there in the garden, and God begins to talk to them. And he makes himself known to them. And we go a little farther uh, down this biblical track of history, and and what we find out is is, is that that God speaks to Noah, and he speaks to Abraham, and he speaks to, uh, to Moses in a bush. He speaks to prophets like Elijah in a whisper. He speaks to guys like Amos uh, in a basket of fruit. And and if you go through uh, out this this thing in our Bible called the Old Testament, consistently making himself known. All kinds of ways he's making himself known. He, He makes himself known through furniture in a tabernacle. He makes himself known in in symbols and stacks of stones. Consistently, God is making himself known. And so the answer, at least to begin the answer to the question of what is it going to take for you to believe is you have to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is committed to you. You are absolutely his priority I am his priority, and he is going to make himself known. It's this revelation, right? But, but notice, notice this little piece. Have you ever noticed that there's these little big words in Scripture? And there's one in this passage. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Abraham and Moses and Noah and Elijah and Isaiah and Jeremiah, uh, all the furniture, all of the symbols. Uh, And then there's this magical word, but. It's this ultimate contrast between everything that has gone before and whatever comes after is going to be way better or way worse. God has desired to make himself known. Why? Because he's committed to you. You are his priority. In the grace of God, he continues just to initiate this relationship over and over and over again and say, I am committed to you. And this magical word, but, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Oh, yeah. I can't lie to you. 
when I was reading through this several weeks ago, looking at this morning, I wrote in the margin of my note Bible, Jesus is the man. That's what he's saying. He's saying everything, everything that has gone before, every prophet, every message from the prophet, every piece of furniture, every symbol, you can wrap it all up in one great big ball, right? It was like this giant God bomb. And he says, none of it, none of it counts as much as Jesus Jesus is the ultimate revelation. He's the one that has come so that you know that God has made you priority. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to uh, run in the Boston Marathon. Love it. If you ever have a chance to go out there, I would encourage it. And I'm walking through the expo the day before the race, and, and there's all these people from all over the country. And, and in my training... Um, I had decided that I was going to do some speed work, and there was this guy. I don't even know what his first name is, but his last name's Yasso, Y-A-S-S-O. And he has this thing, this regimen of speed work, and they're called Yasso 800s. And you go out to the track, and you begin to run 800s up to 10 at a time so that you can run faster during a marathon. And I had heard about this man and engaged in his program. And I was really excited about where I was going into that particular marathon. And as I was walking through the expo, there he was, Mr. Yasso himself. And you can imagine me, I'm kind of an excitable guy, and so I walk by and it says like Yasso on the top, and I was like, you're Mr. Yasso! I was like, oh, and I told him about how I'd gone into his program and how much faster it made me, and I was so excited. This is the difference between the prophets of old and how God had made himself known and how God is making himself known now. He has come to make you priority. To reveal himself, to make himself known to you. And he is going to every length possible to say, I'm committed to you. Maybe you're in business and uh, you're a business person and, and, and so you go through things like the Wall Street Journal and you look through Money Magazine and Forbes Magazine and, and, and you have picked a mentor for your business and you've decided that if you're going to pick a mentor for your business that, that it's going to be the best mentor you can possibly think of. And, and knowing that Omaha is close, you choose Warren Buffett. And so, so every week you're like trying to scour articles and you've read everything that Warren Buffett's ever written and you, you follow his instructions and, and you try and go the way of Warren Buffett. And then one day, Warren Buffett calls you. And he says, this is Warren Buffett, and I want to come to your house. I want to talk to you about your business. 
the greater way is, of course, to have Warren Buffett in a, in a conversation over lunch than simply to read his articles. Why do I even mention anything like this? Because that's what it's like. God said, I'm committed to you. You are my priority. I'm going to make myself known to you in a way that is unmistakable. Maybe there's a couple of you who are sports fans in the room and, and you've decided that, that you know all the stats of, of certain players. And, and let's say that Peyton Manning is one of them, quarterback for the Denver Broncos. Certain Hall of Famer, right? And you've decided that you know everything there is to know about Peyton Manning and, and you know exactly when his quarterback's camp is every summer and, and you look for reports and, and you want to know how to play the game or how to coach like, like Peyton Manning would do it. And then one day, Peyton calls you. And he says, I want you to come and stand on the sideline with me. Uh, you can sit next to me during the game. I'll kind of give you an insight of what's going on in the huddle. And then after Peyton wins the game with the last second touchdown in the fourth quarter, before he runs into the locker room, he says, why don't you come out on the field? And you look at him and you go, me? You want me on the field? Yeah, come on out on the field. And he takes the football and he says, go long. And you receive a touchdown pass from Peyton Manning himself. Wow. Let me ask you, would you rather sit on your couch watching the Broncos or would you rather be out on the field? with Peyton Manning tossing you a touchdown. We all know what's greater, don't we? It's like what Hebrews is trying to tell us. How is it that God has made himself known? Well, well, there's all kinds of things that he's done in the past. There's all kinds of symbols that he's used. Uh, there's all kinds of people that he's spoken through. But now, it's about Jesus. Remember, he's the man. Maybe you've always wanted to meet the First Lady. You've always wanted to know what it's like really in the White House to be married to the President of the United States. And you scour through articles and books and, and you keep up with the First Lady and the kinds of programs that she's running and you get excited about that. And, and one day the First Lady of your choosing, she calls you. And she says, I want to tell you everything about what it's like to be a wife in the White House. Let me tell you about dinners when there's foreign policy going on. This is what God does for us in Jesus. He says, I am committed to you. You are my priority. 
And the greatest thing that could possibly happen is that I am going to make myself known through my Son. Now, now get this. He's trying to get at the absolute supremacy of who Jesus is. Notice how he describes Jesus. Uh, there's one I want to highlight here. I love how he does it. He, send, he, he says over and over, uh, what is it going to take for you to believe? What is it going to take for you not to be frustrated? What is it going to take for you to have strength for the journey? Let me tell you about how I'm communicating with you. Let me tell you the kind of guidance that I'm going to provide for you. My son came for you. Notice the things that he says about his son. He said, he's appointed heir of all things. He said, through whom he made the universe. In other words, he's the creator. The son is the radiance of God's glory. He's equal with him in every way. The exact representation of his being. And here's the one that I love. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. Uh, this word for sustaining is really uh, someone who is carrying something along continually. He, he has not only created the universe like it were a sandcastle on a beautiful beach, what he has also done is he has sustained it. He has held off the tide so that the sandcastle doesn't crash. This word of sustenance is saying, I hold the universe in my hand. This is how powerful Jesus is. And he has come to reveal who God is to you. Why? Because you are his priority. You need strength for the journey. You're frustrated. You can count on the guidance that Jesus would give to you. Did you know that if the sun, this burning ball of fire in the middle of the space, did you know that if it were one mile closer or one mile further away, earth would either be way too warm for us to live here or way too cold for us to live here? Uh, did you know that, that if the moon were any closer or any further away, if it were any closer, the oceans would literally, twice a day, with the coming and going of the tides, would sweep over every bit of known land twice a day all over the earth. This is the sustainer. This is Jesus. This is the one whom he is trying to get you to notice and say, you need guidance? You need a reason to believe? Let me give it to you. So what does it all mean? Here's what I think it means. When we're facing life's toughest moments, when we're frustrated by the lack of guidance in the journey, I think it means that to find answers any other way is foolish. To try and find answers to life's journey outside of Jesus is foolishness. Do you notice what else he says? 
And not only is he creator and the glory of the Father and the exact representation and the sustainer of the entire universe, he says he is the redeemer. He's the one who comes to save us from our sin. Notice what he says. He says, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So not only is he the ultimate word, he provides the ultimate work. Anything that doesn't involve Jesus in this life's journey is simply foolishness. Christians, we have to follow Jesus. And that seems so elementary, but when we're frustrated, oftentimes we can decide to try and look for answers somewhere else. Christians, followers of Jesus, we should not be looking at horoscopes. We should not be having our palms read. We should not be enticed by commercials of some mystical power in a crystal. Christians, you understand what I'm saying to you. Trying to find answers to life's journey when we're frustrated is foolishness if it's not following Jesus. There may be friends of ours that we have who believe in something other than the God of the Bible. And when we're frustrated, we may be tempted to try and go that way. And I am saying to you, it is foolishness not to follow Jesus. In every way imaginable, He has made Himself known to you. And what I desperately want you to hear is that it is because He is committed to you. And you are His priority. So what is it that we do with all of this? If you could have backstage passes, you would, wouldn't you? Versus just going to the store to have a CD. So how is it that you encounter this Jesus that has revealed himself to you? You see, Jesus longs to initiate this relationship with you. He's asking you on a date. He's calling you on the dance floor. But you got to come out. So what is it that you have to do? Quite simply, you have to discover ways of trusting in Jesus. There may be some of you in this room who have yet to really begin your journey. You want to think about this journey with Jesus and maybe uh, you've been thinking about baptism, this thing that we talk about in church. You've watched a couple people walk through the baptistry and you've begun to understand what it means. You want to die to your old self and die to sin and raise again to live a new life in Christ. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and you're, you're enticed by what all of that means, but, but there's something inside of you that just has stopped you from doing that. Now is the time to do that. 
If you're a person here this morning and, and you need to, to make that decision, you need to find a way to trust in Jesus, then maybe take that step, this first step, into the baptistry. Maybe you're saying, you know what, I have been a Christian a really, really long time. I remember the baptistry and it was cold because it was a lake in the middle of January. And you're saying, okay, I've already been baptized. What's for me? You know, I think one of the greatest tragedies in the American church and for those of you who are busters and boomers, I want to talk to you. Perhaps the greatest tragedy is you thinking that you don't have something to offer God's church. That you've retired and so now you've retired from the church as well. But let me tell you plainly and clearly, we need your maturity we need your life experience in life groups. We need your life experience uh, in your marriages as you have gone through trials for other people for, that are younger than you that are trying to go through them. We need your experience. And so I'm calling you out and I'm asking you to serve. And is it absolutely terrifying? Are you going to feel inadequate? Yes. But remember, this is about following and trusting in Jesus, not trusting in yourself. And so I am telling you, you have something to offer. Jesus has made Himself known to you. You are His priority, and so you follow Him. Not to do so is foolishness. Maybe it is that you have thought many times, you know what, I love working with kids, but I don't know. I'm, I don't know that serving in the children's ministry area is for me. You know what? Teenagers, grandmas and grandpas, you have a place of service. Find a way to trust in Jesus. Follow him because he's made himself known to you. He's revealed himself in his word and in his work. And so I'm pleading with you find ways of trusting in Jesus. You want strength for the journey? You want guidance along the way? Look to the only one who can really provide it, and that's Jesus. We're going to have fun, gang, going through Hebrews. By the time we get to the end, we're going to be really strong. Are you ready? All right, strap in. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thanks for your goodness to us. I pray, God, that we are open, honest, willing, to share our fears before you, and to trust you to go wherever it is that you're prompting. Gracious God, if it's service, let us serve. If it's sharing the life experience that, that we have, may we share it. If it's inviting people that don't yet know you here or into a relationship with you, let us do it. 
You're good to us. Give us guidance. Give us strength. Help us journey with you. Amen.